Philippians. This is our last week in Philippians as far as going chapter by chapter. I do want to come back and talk about a couple of things more topically, but we're going to finish the the last half of chapter 4. Now you'll recall as we've been talking about each week as we go to the map to begin, if you go to the top of the map and all the way over to the left, you have there in Italy, you have this city of Rome. And one of the things that we've said is that Paul is going to be writing this letter from Rome. He is a prisoner in in Rome for the faith. He has been a prisoner for over four years uh, because of his faith in Jesus. And so he's been there. It was 11, you know, he's, uh, he's been there for two years, but he's been a prisoner for four years. If you go to the middle of the map and you come down, you see this area called Macedonia. And I want you to pay attention to that area of Macedonia because we're going to talk about that today. But there in that town, or there in that area is this, area, this town called Philippi. It was 11 years earlier in 51 AD that Paul is on a missionary journey. He comes to Philippi. He begins to teach. The church is established. And, uh, and so then he's there for a short period of time. And then he goes on. It's been 11 years since Paul was there as far as starting the church. And one of the things that we find, and we'll even see today, is that this church had lost touch with Paul. You see, he's been arrested four years previously in 58 AD. He was arrested in Jerusalem. He was in in a dungeon in Caesarea. He was placed on a ship back to Rome. That ship becomes shipwrecked. And uh, they spend several months there waiting for another ship. Then they go to Rome and he's a prisoner in Rome. They didn't have internet. They didn't have satellite TV or anything like that. So this church is completely lost where it is that their their pastor, Paul, the apostle, where he's gone. So they find out at some point where he's at, that he's in Rome, and they make a collection and they send it to Rome to help him out in a situation. So in the book of Acts, although Paul is a prisoner, it will say this there in your outline, for two whole years Paul stayed there in his own rented, we underlined rented last time, his rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. At this point, Paul is a prisoner in Rome. He's waiting to go to trial. And he's able at this point to live in a rented house. The reason he's in a rented house is there's a church on the other side of the world, in their mind, 800 miles, who finds out that Paul is there and that's his difficulty. They take a collection, they send it to Paul. Now he's able to move out of the dungeon and into his own rented house. He's still in chains. He can't go up and down the street. He's under a house arrest. But it's a whole lot better than being in the dungeon. So Paul writes back, to this church a thank you note for them helping him out. It's also a receipt so that they would know that Paul has received the money that they sent. So in chapter 1, you'll recall, it's been I guess about eight weeks ago since we were there, but Paul began by saying, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership and the gospel from the first day until now. We talked about when we were there that this is the one church that partnered with Paul financially no matter where he went. Now they've lost touch with him and recently found him, but they're the one church that did that. So we see that throughout the New Testament, this church is showing up on, on Paul's behalf. So there you can see uh, on, the, uh, on, on the screen, you see Philippi there. He goes down to Thessalonica after Philippi, and then he goes all the way down to the bottom part of Greece to, the, to this town of Corinth. Well, while he's there, uh, he's, he's there uh, in Corinth, and one of the things that we find is that 
The book of Acts, which is the history book of the New Testament, records what took place when Paul went to Corinth. And so there on your outline it says, Paul went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila and his wife Priscilla. And because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. When Paul would go somewhere, uh, he would just begin working. That was his trade as a tent maker. And every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue. But then something happens. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, and you want to underline Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching. So what happened where when Paul goes to Corinth, he has to begin making tents, but all of a sudden they come from Macedonia, and now he's freed up to just begin to preach exclusively. Well, what took place is this church that had been supporting his ministry, when Silas and Timothy show up, they, they, they come with an offering, so Paul's able to continue, continue preaching. Well, from there, if we come to chat, and we talked about that the first week and a couple of times since, but now we come to chapter four as we wrap this up. Paul's going to finish his thank you letter, and Paul's going to begin in verse 10, and he's going to say, but I rejoiced. And I've underlined, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. And here's why. That now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Again, Paul has been a prisoner for four years. He was arrested in Jerusalem, moved to another city, Caesarea, in the dungeon for two years, shipwrecked on the way to Rome. And so they had lost touch with Paul. They had no idea where, where he was. They find out. It wasn't that they weren't concerned, but, but they couldn't find him. So once they find out, again, they, they uh, make an offering. They bring a large offering to Paul. And so now he's able to live in a rented house. And so he says, I rejoice at this gift that you've done this. Verse 11, He says, not that I speak from want, for I have learned, and there's two words that are going to be important here, I have learned to be content, underline content, in whatever circumstances I am. So learned and content. In in one language, there's uh, some languages will have five or six words that will describe a, a certain concept where another language will just have one. So for instance, when we, we have different words that describe kind of the same thing. We might say running, jogging, sprinting, galloping, you know, skipping, whatever you'd want to say, trotting. And so we have a number of words, and each of those words brings up a, a, an, an idea of what's going on. Another language might just have one word, and that word would be run. So sometimes it's important to look back and see how they looked at a word because they had a number of words for the word learned. And so there on your outline, this word learn just means to learn by use and practice. Now that's going to be important. We're going to talk about that because uh, Paul's going to tell us that although he's content, it, it didn't happen overnight. It took some time. There was some experience that needed to take place as, as, he, as the Lord grew him. And then that word content is an interesting word because it's typically translated as self-sufficient. That's not exactly what Paul is saying, but that's the closest word. And that word is sufficient for oneself, strong enough or possessing enough to need no aid or support, independent of circumstances. So 
Paul says, we would look on and say self-sufficient, but what he's really doing is I'm not looking outside of myself. I'm looking to the Lord for my sufficiency, the Lord to make me content is the idea. And he says, I had to learn that. So write this down and then we'll unpack it. Paul teaches that contentment is learned. When Paul was saved, he didn't immediately become content. It's something that the Lord had to do over time in his heart. And it's important as we get into this today, because one of the things that we're going to see is that Paul's been through a real time of difficulty. He's been in prison. He started a number of churches. Uh, A lot of people have been blessed by the ministry, but only one church will actually reach out and help Paul in his situation. So Paul says, I've had to learn to become content. The idea is I don't look at, 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 at others for uh, that contentment because if he were to look at others because they should have been, if he would have looked at them and said, you should, you should, you should, he would become very grumpy as, as a person. So Paul said, I had to come to the place where I just was content in the Lord and what everybody else did, they did. That's an important thing for you and I. Because uh, what Paul learned is that although other people should be doing things, people aren't always who we think they should be. They don't always do what we think they should be doing. Am I alone in this? So, So the goal is to get us to the place where our contentment is in the Lord so that if people aren't who we think they should be, we're not bothered by that because we're not looking to them for our source of contentment. Paul's saying, that's where I am. That's the idea. So verse 12, he says, I know, I know how to get along in humble means and I also know how to live in prosperity. And in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry both in having abundance and suffering need. Now, you might want to just uh, highlight the suffering need, suffering need. So he says, I've, I've learned the secret of that. And one of the secret is going to be looking to God, not looking to those around him. And so the idea is he's learned the secret. If God calls him to be in prosperity, he's good with that. But if God calls him to suffer need, or however your Bible says it, he says, I'm going to be content in that circumstance. Now that's important because of verse 13. Verse 13, he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Some of your Bibles will say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is one of those verses that we tend to take as a promise. And if you're like me, I'm I'm big on Bible promises. And we take that promise, we pull it out of the Bible, and we apply it to any and every circumstance in our life except the actual context of, of which it was written. So here, in its context, Paul says, I've learned to be content in prosperity or lack. An abundance or suffering need. What he's saying, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What he's saying is if God calls me to prosperity, God's going to give me the strength to not mess that up. I'm going to handle that well. Uh, But if God calls me to a season where I'm suffering need, then God's going to give me the strength to go through that season of suffering need. In its context, that's what it's talking about. So go ahead and, go ahead and write this down. 
in context, what Paul is saying is God will strengthen me to do all that he calls me to do. Now, some will wrongly take this verse and uh, it becomes a verse. It's kind of like the super Christian verse, you know, like a, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and, you know, there's this launching out. But, which is, which on the one hand is fine, but the context here is that the strengthening comes because you're going through a situation that God has called you to not the decision that you've called yourself to. So the first question is always, Lord, what is it that you want to do? Uh, and, and many times we, we miss that. We take the verse and we run it as though God's obligated to whatever our agenda is to come alongside of us and strengthen us. But that's not what he's talking about. If he calls me to abundance, he calls me to whatever the circumstances, he'll strengthen me in that. Well, verse 14, he says, nevertheless, you've done well to share with me in my affliction. Now, I've underlined the word affliction in, in my Bible. Um, some of your Bibles will say troubles. Some of your Bibles will say distress. Although, although Paul had come to the place in his life where he was content with what the Lord was doing in his life, he was going to follow that, um, that didn't mean that it was always easy. It was still difficult. It was still distress. It, it was still a, a difficult experience. What I love about Paul is that Paul never demanded all the churches that he started for them to actually support his ministry. What he did do, and you see this throughout the New Testament, is that Paul would teach on the importance of putting God first in our finances. And the truth is, if God's not first in our finances, He's not first in our life. Just, there's just no way around that. He's not first in our... So Paul would teach on that, putting God first in the finances. He would share the need. Here's what's going on and here's the need. But then he would just trust the Lord. So he, he would do that. Now here at Calvary, we've chosen to model how we do things based upon what we see in the life of Paul. Uh, we, we teach on it. We teach on putting God first in our finances and uh, we share the need, and, and then we trust the Lord. We've chosen here at Calvary to, uh, you know, we, we don't pass a plate. We just put the boxes in the back by the, by the doors. They're, they're right by the doors, just right, right there. You can't, you can't miss them. So we, we've chosen to just follow the Lord and that God has always abundantly blessed our church. You know, we don't bring somebody up and take the offering. Somebody sings, and they're going to sing until. And if we don't get it, we're going to sing, keep singing. We, we, you know, we don't do any of that. We just, we just share. Now, now, here in the book of Philippians, as we've traveled through, it has come up a, a lot more because this book is a thank you letter for a church that did what most of the churches wouldn't do, and they, they supported Paul and his ministry. So we have talked about that a little bit more. What I love about the Philippians is that they didn't just hear about the difficulty that Paul was going through, the difficulty of the ministry. They actually decided to do something about it, which is going to make them very different than, than the rest. Verse 15, he says, you yourselves, you yourselves also know, Philippians, that in the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, underline, no church, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone, you alone, and you want to underline that. 
Those churches appreciated that Paul came there. They, they appreciated that he taught them about Jesus. And they were all on with Jesus until he started talking about putting God first in this area. They were all in with Jesus until he started talking about participating financially. And all of a sudden, that was the end of the conversation. Now, it, it wasn't that they were bad people. Okay, They, they were good people. <laughs> They would always pay their, their mortgage payment. They'd always make the payment on their chariot. But they, they just would never... That was so much funnier in the last service. It's nothing. I got nothing on that. Okay. So, so but, but as when it came to the ministry and participating with what it is that God was doing, that was the end of the conversation. Well, verse 16, Paul goes on and he says, he says, For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. And when you look at the map, you see that there's Macedonia and there's Philippi. And when Paul left Philippi, he went down to Thessalonica. And Paul was in Thessalonica for three weeks, in three weeks. And they sent a gift in those three weeks more than once, which means that every week they were sending a gift to support the ministry. And Paul says in verse 16, He says, for even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. The the part that we forget is that it wasn't just for Paul. You have Timothy and you have Luke and you have the other guy, Silas, who are traveling. There's rent to be paid. There's groceries to be paid. And and, uh, that church understood it and they decided to do something about it. So so uh, the first thing that we see, the first lesson for us, and Paul's kind of sharing this in the first uh, couple of verses that we've looked at, is that we find that my giving is an encouragement. You want to write that down. Paul says, others, others wouldn't do it, but you did. Back in verse 10, he says, but I rejoiced greatly. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. And then Paul goes on to say in verse 17, he says, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which, now my translation says, increases to your account, increases to your account. So Paul says, it's not that I'm seeking the gift. I, I've decided that I'm going to be content in whatever circumstance the Lord has me in. But I greatly appreciate that, that you guys did that. He, he greatly appreciates it. But Paul says, I, I seek for what it does for your account. And Paul realizes what happens when God's people partner, especially in the area financially, with what it is that that God is doing. So go ahead and write this down and we'll unpack it. My giving is an investment in eternity. Now my translation uses the word increase. If you have the NIV, it will use the word credited. And if you have the King James, it'll say abounds to your account. But in all Greek dictionaries, they all use this one word to describe what's being done. He says to superabound. Does everybody see that? It's to superabound. The idea is that investing in ministry now with what it is that God is doing leads to multiplied blessings in eternity. What Paul is saying here is that when you and I get into eternity, and, and anybody who has partnered with the Lord financially and what it is that God is doing, when they see how God has taken that and multiplied it, multiplied it, they never look at how God's multiplied and then look back at their life and said, you know, I should have bought that patio set. They never say that. When they look on at what it is that God has done, they're blown away. And that's the idea that Paul is conveying. 
Verse 18, he says, but I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I've underlined that word abundance. Um, the, the best way to describe this, Paul's saying, what you guys did was so incredible. We, we can pay rent now for months. We have groceries. We we're, were able to carry on in the ministry because what it is that you've done. And he says, I'm amply supplied having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable underlined sacrifice, and uh, well-pleasing, underlined, well-pleasing to God. Well-pleasing to God. My translation says well-pleasing, and the reason that's important, some of your Bibles will say pleasing, like God's like, no, thanks. But if you were to look that up in the original language, it's always well-pleasing. You know, it's God is off the charts blessed by what it is that that these people have done as they participated. So you want to write this down. My giving is a well-pleasing sacrifice to God. Well-pleasing sacrifice to God. And uh, notice that he uses the term sacrifice. Uh, Tuck that away. We'll come back to that in a few minutes. We'll see what a sacrifice it was for them. But here God says, I'm pleased. It pleases me to know that you would partner with what it is that I'm doing. Now, because, and it's very important, because they had chosen to partner with God in what it is that that God wanted to accomplish, in verse 18, Paul says now in verse 19, because you did this, you can now expect this. So verse 19 begins, and you want to notice, with the word and. How many of your Bibles begin with the word and? Now the reason that's so important is that in the Bible you have promises and you have premises. A premise says, if you do this, then here is the promise. If we don't do the premise, there is no promise. There is no verse 19 apart from verse 18. Verse 18 is the premise and this is what you can expect. This is the part that many miss. And my God will supply all your needs, and you notice that that's plural. You want to write, underline that, plural. According to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So here's what he's saying. Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And Paul is saying, because you went out of your way and you partnered Here's what you can expect. Now, here's a paraphrase. Go ahead and write this down. You met one need that I have, but my God will meet all your needs. And that's plural, needs. So we've been looking at this church. And as we've been traveling through, we found that this is a church that's going through persecution. So when it says all your needs, one of the things that this church is going to need is some strength to get through this persecution. Um, I'm going to suggest that one of the needs that they're going to have is just wisdom as they navigate. He says, all your needs. They're going to need some discernment as they go forward. Uh, There's relationship issues, family issues. And God says, I'm I'm going to get on board in that. There's also the, the provision aspect. Certainly they've provided financially. God's going to show up on their behalf. And one of the things that I notice... I appreciate it, I should say. 
in the Bible is that God seems to love showing up on behalf of his people in the midst of very deep and dark circumstances. And, and you see it from cover to cover. So for instance, Psalm 23, we're all familiar with Psalm 23. David's writing and he notices and he says this, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Apparently persecution, difficulty does not stop God from being able to step in and take care of his children. And he seems to love to do that. We see that for the Philippians, persecution, difficulty. We see it back in Psalms. We see it throughout the entire Bible. Uh, Again, throughout the entire Bible, I put a little address of a verse there on your outline from Luke chapter 5. It's one of those great little stories. Jesus is teaching. He's by the Sea of Galilee. And the crowd is pressing in on him and he's backing up and getting up to the water and he has nowhere else to go, but the crowd keeps pressing in. So he turns to Peter and the guys. Now they're not disciples at this point. This is their pre-disciple days. And so he turns to them and says, hey, I have a need. Will you participate in my need? Let me get in your boat. You just pull off a few feet so I can teach the crowd. Fine. So Peter says yes. They all say yes. Jesus hops in the boat. They go a few feet back and Jesus continues preaching. At the end of his preaching, it's as if Jesus says, you know what? I had a need and um, you were doing some stuff with your nets and you know, some, I might have slightly inconvenienced you, whatever, but, but uh, you met my need and so I want to meet your need. So you know the story, Jesus says, would you cast your net off the boat and see what happens? And of course they say, well, you know, we've been fishing all night, but if you say so, we'll do it. So they cast their nets and they catch such an amount of fish that it begins to sink the boat. And uh, one of my mentors calls that net breaking, boat sinking increase. And when God gets involved in our situation, that's what he's talking about. They chose to meet his need and he responded, let me meet your need. And it was an incredible thing. So so here's what I would say. What's your need? What's your need today? Do, is it finances? Do, do, you need, do you have a, a relationship situation in your life? Is there trouble in your family? Is there trouble in your marriage? Well, here's the promise. He doesn't say, if you meet my financial need, I will meet your financial need. Certainly that's part of it. Don't miss that. That's part of it. But he says, all your needs. He says, I want to jump into every aspect of your life but it was because they decided to meet one need, which was the financial. He responds by saying, I want to get involved in every aspect of your life. So another thing that we notice is that right now we're reading Paul's letter to the Philippians, but there was another time earlier when uh, Paul wrote to the Corinthian church and he told us about the Philippians, or the churches in Macedonia. And he gives us a little detail there on your outline. And he says, and now brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Of course, Macedonia, that's where Philippi is, the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, and I've underlined that, they were undergoing persecution. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty was not a church that was doing well financially because of persecution. They were going through a time of extreme poverty. 
welled up in generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. Paul says, I wasn't, I wasn't pushing them. They just wanted to. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. They had heard that other believers were having a difficult time, so they said, what can we do, even in the midst of their poverty? So if that's true about the Philippians, that was their condition, and Paul makes this promise to them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, then go ahead and write this down. Paul would say, you gave out of your poverty, but God will supply your needs out of his riches and glory. So they had funded what it is that God wanted to do. And interesting also that there was something that happened because they started funding what it is that God wanted to do, that even in difficulty, they responded by saying, how can we do more? How can we do more? So a couple of things. First of all, we, um, as uh, we go forward, I need to take care of the legalese here. There's a couple of things. You know, in every contract, there's always the legal stuff. So let, let me just say two things. Here's what this does not cover. God promises to meet your needs, but this is what this does not cover. Write this down. First of all, this does not cover the consequences of laziness. Write that down. And I put the verse there, 2 Thessalonians 3.10. If anyone will not work, let him not eat. Okay, you've heard that before. So, so the idea is, is that you need to get going, is the idea. God will meet your needs, but you've got to get going. Um, we've heard it say that he feeds the birds of the air, but he doesn't drop the worm off at the nest. You've got to get up, get going, and, and go get it. It's, it's there, but you can't be lazy. So the first thing. The second thing we've noticed, and I don't like this one, by the way, but I think I need to put it out there. Uh, this promise does not cover all our wants. Oh, I, I thought that would be funnier. <laughs> so James 4.3, he says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend it um, what you uh, spend what you get on your pleasures. You know, one of the things that I've come to realize is that God loves to meet our wants, but the promise is for our needs. The promise is for our needs. As a parent, I think that he loves to meet the, uh, the wants and desires of his children, but he promises to meet our needs. So a couple of things as we kind of bring this to a, a close. Uh, first of all, what I would say, as we said the very first week that we were in this, wherever you go to church, you need to begin to put God first in your finances. You need to partner with God with what it is that he is doing and then allow him to not just show up in your life in a financial way, but all your needs. And many of us have needs that are beyond just just the financial. You want to put your finances, you want to put God first in your finances like the Philippians, not like the other churches that uh, sadly wouldn't participate with that. So what I would want to say in that is that uh, everybody can do something. I would encourage you, if you're here today, and as it relates to the Lord, you're doing nothing, I would encourage you, if Jesus really is the most important thing in your life, and you profess that, um, start somewhere. Do something. And as you take that step, and you see God begin to move in your life, it'll cause you to want to take that step even further. 
For me, I was, and you've all heard this story, I was 25 years old, I was in grad school, I was working full-time, barely making it, going to school full-time. But it was a time where God really began to work in my life. I was excited about the Lord and showing me things and growing. So I sat down with one of the mentors in my life, a guy named Steve Coder. We went out to breakfast this one day and he was listening to me and I'm saying, God's doing this and he's showing me this and I'm so excited about this and this and this and this. He's very polite and he's sitting there and just quietly. And I go on for like a half hour, everything that God's doing. And then he looks at me and just says, are you tithing? I was like, I I never heard of such a thing. What is this craziness that you're talking about? And he began to share a couple of verses where God calls us to put him first in our lives. And when I saw that, I'd already made the decision that God was going to be first in my life, come what may, whether this life works out or not, he's going to be first. And so I made the decision that day that God would be first in the area of finances. It's been 32 years. And I've never wavered in that. And I've never regretted. I've never regretted putting God first in my finances. I can't tell you I've been rolling in cash my whole life. That's not the case. But I've seen God show up time and time again. When Cheryl and I were dating on our very first date, as we were talking about the Lord, we came to the question of, is God first in our finances? And God had already brought her to the place where God is first in her finances. So when we came together, there was never any tension because God was going to be first. So it was a, a good, good thing. But you know, God's allowed us on this incredible journey. And so we have 12 kids, you know, I never mention it, but we have 12 kids. <laughs> and, and our kids from the earliest days, we talk to them about putting God first in your life in the area of finances. And so our kids have these amazing stories about how Money would come in. They put God first. And all of a sudden, this would happen over here. This would happen over here. And God has been building their faith through the years. They have these amazing stories that they wouldn't have if mom and dad didn't decide many years ago to put God first. You put God first in your finances, you'll never regret it. And you've never met anybody who puts God first in their finances over a period of time who would say, I really regret that I did that. You've never met anybody and you never would. The second thing I'd want to say, the Philippians in their church, they had made a decision. And that decision was that the income that came into their church would be more than just keeping the lights on, not that they had lights, but you get the idea, on in their church. A part of all of their income was taken to meet the needs of those who are taking the gospel to other places around the world. In this case, it's Paul they had decided that they were going to meet the needs of ministry outside of their church. Our church is based upon or built upon as far as the finances, what we see in Paul. From the very beginning, from the very first day that we began this church, we've always made the decision to put God first in our finances as a church. So the first 10%, and it's always more, but the first 10% goes to missionaries around the world, missions, benevolence, outreach, whatever we can do to meet needs around the world. We've done that like the Philippians in times where there was great need in the church, but modeling after the Philippians, we've chosen to do that. So with that, I want to close with this verse. There in your outline, Paul's writing to the Corinthians. They never really embraced this, but Paul keeps telling them. He says, now remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. 
Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And I've put the Greek word there for cheerful, and that word is hilaros. Do you see that? What English word do we get from that? Hilarious, hilarious. So God loves hilarious givers. A hilarious giver says, God, you want to do what? (laughs) That's awesome. I can't wait. Let's do it. It's going to be the most awesome thing ever. He loves hilarious, cheerful givers. But then he goes on to say, notice this, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That sounds to me like a paraphrase of verse 19. My God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I want to encourage you. um, It's not to get from you. It's for you. You will miss out on so much in your spiritual life if you never come to the place where you put God first in your finances. Wherever you go to church, and I know some of you will not stay at this church. Sometimes people leave this church. People have emotional problems, whatever, but, but I, I get that. <laughs> but hear me when I tell you, you will never regret, you will never regret putting God first in your finances because it'll be in that that you will begin to see God show up in your life tangibly, tangibly. And with that, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the example. Thank you for the example of Paul who said, I'm going to purpose to make my contentment be in you, that you grew him to that place. Thank you for the example of the Philippian church who chose to partner with you, even at times where they were going through some great difficulty. And Lord, thank you for the promise that we see throughout the Bible that that you you want to participate with your people. And Lord, we know that you don't need your people, but you sure do love to participate with your people. I thank you, God, for this congregation. And I pray that each of us comes to the place where you are first in every area, not in most areas, but you know this one area over here, but Lord, in every area. I pray, God, that you keep each and every one of us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said, God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.